Hi, guys. Good evening. How are we doing tonight? We are, I, I want to start off and I want to say, first of all, thank you so much. Many of you uh, have been here since very early this morning setting up for all of this. So this week looks a little bit different than last week, right? God has been so kind with us and allowing us to have like all of this. And so uh, I want to say thank you to all of you that were here early this morning and maybe got a little bit of rest this afternoon and then came back. Um, grateful, very, very grateful for you. Um, I also want to say this too. If you are visiting with us tonight, then you are our guest. We're really glad that you're here. Um, I want you to make yourself at home, be who you are. Um, if uh, I would actually, if you pull out your programs here, you got a little card, a little welcome card inside. And this is a great way for you to communicate with us. If you're visiting and you wouldn't mind filling really whatever information you want to give us, we'll take it. Um, the more that you give us, the better, just so we know that we're here. And if you have any questions about anything, then this is a great way to ask those questions to us. We follow up with all of these. Um, and then for all of us, on the back of these is um, a place where you could write prayer requests. And we would love to be praying for you. The only people that see this are the staff. Okay, so if you fill it out, you can drop it off in one of those tubes in the back that say offering on them. Um, just drop it in there and we'll make sure that we get this. And we would love to be lifting you up in prayer. We had a little bit more last week. We're, we're kind of getting a little bit more each week, but we would love to be praying for you and for the needs that you have in your life. Um, speaking of offering, we're not doing, for, we're in our soft launch right now. So if you're visiting, you joined us for, for the soft launch. And basically what that means is we're kind of trying to figure out how to do this thing. So we've never done church uh, this way with set up and tear down and everything. And so each week um, we make mistakes, and each week we try to do better the next week. So um, anyway, if you, uh, so we're not doing an offering during our soft launch here, but if you have been a regular Grace Church giver, and you're con we would ask that you would continue to just give the way that you have, so whatever campus you come from. Some of you give online, and that's great. Others of you drop, uh, you have envelopes. You can just drop them in those tubes, and we'll make sure that they go where they, where they need to go. Um, we're all kind of gearing up for our hard launch, and it's like our public launch, and that's coming up at Easter. So we have four weeks leading up to Easter, and um, we're going to have, so this is the time where we invite people, right? So we invite our family and friends and um, maybe people in your neighborhood that uh, you've been trying to talk to and introduce to the Lord. Um, in the next couple weeks, we're going to have some postcards that we're going to put in our programs that will be little invites for you. So we're not going to do like a mass mailing or anything like that in Barberton. Those are expensive, and I don't know how effective they are, right? Um, but we're going to have these postcards in your program that you can take, and then you can talk to your neighbor or someone in your family, and you can invite them. Um, we're also going to... Um, uh, go door to door around the city a little bit and just get to know some folks and um, and try to do it in a non weird way, right? Not be too strange. Hello, I'm a Christian. We are opening a church. We're not going to do that, um, but we're we're going to uh, have like a little um, uh, sign up sheet, I guess, so that we're not going to the same place three different times with people. But anyway, you'll hear more about that in the next couple of weeks. But it's all building up to Easter, and that's our hard launch. 
Um, I want to say this too, our website is uh, getting really close. We'll have that up, our Barberton Campus website, we'll have that up here in the, uh, this coming week, and we'll have on the site just uh, kind of the information that we've got of things coming up, the hard launch. We'll also have the sermons from the past four weeks, and of course tonight as well on there. If you missed any of those and you want to listen to them, you'll be able to do that later this week. That'll all be up and going. Um, we've been collecting food for the last couple weeks for the Salvation Army, so we uh, found out that at the Barber and Salvation Army, they are very short on food, and so they kind of sent out an SOS saying, hey, if you guys would, if, if people would donate some extra food or cash, that would be really helpful to them, and so we said, well, we want to help with that. Um, even though there's lots of stuff going on around here, like the reason we're doing this is to make a difference in the community, right? So we see when there's a community need, we, to the best of our abilities, want to help meet that. So we've been collecting food for the last couple of weeks. Um, we're going to deliver it this week. And I thought before we do that, maybe as we get started here, before we jump into the sermon, maybe we could pray together that the Lord would use the food and the money that um, we're uh, bringing over to them for his glory, right? That he would use it, that he would stretch it, maybe that he would multiply it, and that he would really use it to meet people's needs. So why don't we do that? Why don't we pray together? Lord, uh, grateful for tonight. God, you've provided so well for us. We're completely unworthy of how kind you've been. God, thank you for loving us so much and being patient with us. And God, tonight as we have uh, the, the equipment that we've purchased and we're all set up, um, we're really grateful for it. But at the same time, we realize that church isn't about stuff. It's not about great lighting and sound and all of that, Lord. We gather together and we worship you and we learn about you. And we could do that on dirt floors if we need to, shivering in the cold. Uh, that being said, we're grateful, Lord, for how you've provided for us. And I pray that um, all of the... Um, the stuff, I guess, that we've got set up here, Lord, that it would really help in people feeling comfortable and welcome and accepted as we get a chance to develop relationships with them and introduce them to Jesus. Uh, and Father, we also uh, have been collecting food, as you know, Lord, and pray that you would take the food that, um, that we've been, uh, that we're going to give to the Salvation Army, God, and that Maybe you'd even multiply it, that you would use the food to really meet people's needs that are struggling right now. Um, I know the Salvation Army doesn't just give food away for no reason. They do it um, with, with also the hope of Jesus. And so I pray that as people receive from them, they would also hear the good news of the gospel. So we trust you with all that, God. Thank you for tonight. I pray that you would lead us as we jump into this. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, guys. So um, you ever do something hard? Like you ever uh, have something in your life that is like really challenging and maybe at first you struggled with it and, uh, and you couldn't quite get it and was really frustrating for you and then like as you do it more and more and more, like finally you figure out how to do it and it's like you conquered it. You ever had that? For me, uh, guitar was like that. So, like, I am, I am not a good guitar player, so I want to be very, very clear about that. Like, what John and, you know, Cap and Becky and all them do is amazing to me. Like, I'm in awe of what they do every week. But I, um, I can hack a little bit on this thing. So when I turned 30 years old, I thought, 
I want to like take up a new challenge, you know, like I want to stretch myself, I want to, I want to try something new, and so I, I bought a guitar, and my uh, intern at the time was a really good guitar player, and so he was, he was showing me some stuff, and so I pick up the guitar, and like I took piano when I was a kid, you know, again, not a good piano player either, but I thought, you know, I could probably pick this up, how, how, like people play guitar all the time, how hard could it possibly be, so I picked this thing up, and it is like the most frustrating instrument you could ever play, right? Like, I could not, I could not get my hands to do what they were supposed to do. Like, for a while, I thought maybe my fingers are just too fat to be able to play guitar. I don't know. Like, how do you push down some strings, but not push down other ones, you know? And so for me, like, some chords are easy to pick up when you're playing guitar. So like, an E minor is a really easy chord to play because you push down two strings and that's it. Like, you could actually do it with one hand. It's really easy. But for me, the G was like, it was the hardest thing for me to learn how to do because you have to like contort your hand in ways that it's not supposed to go or it doesn't naturally go. And so I remember like trying to do this and like it's sounding like that a lot or like this or and then finally I kept going like many days I wanted to give up, right? Finally, I kept going and I got it. And it was like the sweetest thing. I go, there you go, Yes. And then you realize that, like, that's one chord, right? <laughs> and so then I keep going, you know, and I start practicing a C. And it's not long before your mind starts to remember how to do it. And then you start doing other stuff. Like, you start learning how to do bar chords, right? And then it's not long before you can actually, like, do your very first song. And I remember when I played my very first song, God of Wonders was the name of the song. I remember when I played it for the first time. Like, you would have thought I climbed Mount Everest. Like, it was the best feeling in the world to me. And I remember at particularly frustrating times, my intern at the time said something that really stuck out to me. He said, like, I was so frustrated. He said, Jeff, if it were easy, everybody would do it. And I thought, you know what? That's really true. It's really true. Everyone does easy things, right? But not everybody does hard things. And guitar is like one of those hard things. Like nobody picks up a, a guitar and like instantly plays it. Like nobody does that. It takes work. It takes discipline. It's a hard thing. And hard things usually take a lot of work, right? Easy things, easy things are easy. That's profound, right? Easy things are easy. Everyone can do easy things. Most of the time, easy things aren't anything all that special. And when I say that, I don't mean that they're unimportant, Right? Like, brushing your teeth, for example, is an easy thing, but it's also a really important thing. You don't brush your teeth, you don't have many friends, and it's hard to eat, right? It's an easy thing, but it's important. But what I mean is that there's not much challenge to easy things. And most easy things aren't that awesome. They're just easy. And sometimes we can start to think that easy things are sufficient. You know what I mean by that? Like, I can, just, I can just do the easy things. I can take the path of least resistance. It's good enough. It's enough. And then we start to think that easy things are the good things. And we equate easy with good, and then easiness becomes the goal. And then if we're not careful, we could start to think that when something's hard, it must be wrong or bad or unnecessary. Or to use Christian terminology, it must not be God's will, Right? And it's to be avoided. Man, it was really hard. We faced some challenges. It must not be God's will. And then the easy things become celebrated, and the hard things become demonized. Hard things are bad. And then easy things, which is mediocrity, right, is treated like it's way bigger and better than it really is. And excellent becomes something that everything is. 
And guys, that's not good. I started reading a book this week uh, called, it's by two guys, two twin brothers named Alex and Brett Harris. It's called Do Hard Things. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's a pretty popular book. And it's really interesting. It's really insightful. I just started, so I'm not that far into it. But it's a really insightful book, especially when you consider it was written by um, two teenage, they were teenagers, twin brothers. They were teenagers. They were 18 years old when they wrote it. Plus the foreword is by Chuck Norris, which is awesome. So you know it's good. I love Chuck Norris. You want some Chuck Norris jokes? <laughs> no. Chuck Norris is so strong that when he does push-ups, he doesn't actually push his body up. He pushes the earth down. <laughs> Chuck Norris is so tough that when, he, that when the boogeyman goes to bed at night, he checks his closet for Chuck Norris. Did you, ever, <laughs> did you ever find yourself in an office with Chuck Norris? Never ask for the three-hole punch. Right? Anyway, okay, I'm stupid. Anyway, what are we talking about? Do Hard Things. So there's this book, Do Hard Things. It's written by these two teenagers, and they talk about this. They talk about this epidemic of taking the path of least resistance. And this is what they say. I love this quote. They say, unfortunately, we often get praise for things that weren't particularly difficult to achieve. If we focus on the props and encouragement of those who have low expectations for us, we become mediocre. It can be challenging to set our sights on excellence, particularly when we're hearing that we're already there. One of, the great, one of life's greatest lessons, which we must all learn, could be expressed in the phrase, that was nothing. Watch this. Challenge yourself and others to call the normal things normal and save that word excellent for things that really are. I love that. Like, I love that. Because I think we're challenged to just, just get by. Just do easy things. Don't, don't take on those hard things. It's not worth it. It's not worth the effort. The effort. See, guys, here's what I know. What we're doing as followers of the Savior of the world, being his ambassadors, is worthy of our absolute best. And accomplishing our absolute best always requires hard work and overcoming challenges. It always requires doing hard things. Great things, big accomplishments are never easy. They're never easy. They're hard. And we're going to be people because God didn't run away from hard with us, right? We're not people that run away from hard. We're not planning this campus to, to do church as usual, to be, to be safe and comfortable, you know, to have everything that's nice and tidy and under control, a nice, vanilla, mediocre church. That's not why we're doing this. We're not expecting easy as we step out and as we do this, no problems. You know, we talked about that actually for months now as we've been doing our training. You know, we expect challenges to come. And hard things have come already, like location, for example. Like it, took us, it took us a long time to get to this location, right? And more challenging things will come in the future. It's the nature of what we're doing, and we're not afraid of hard things. In fact, it's something that we actually value. In this series, so this is our Epicenter series, and we've been talking about our values, why we do what we do here at Grace Church and why we don't do what we don't do here at Grace Church. And so we're in our fifth week. The first week, we talked about like our foundational value. We said our foundational value is we live to make Jesus make sense. Like that's, that's what we do. That's why we exist. We said the church isn't for the church. The church is for the world. That's why we're here, Right. So we live to make Jesus make sense to people that are seeking him, people that are reaching out. That's why we exist. That was the first week. Second week, we said we share life together. Like God made us to be in relationships with one another. He made us to be together. We're better when we're together, right? 
and we share life together. We don't just do it because it makes us happy, it makes us feel warm, it makes us feel accepted. We share life together in order to train us and prepare us to go out and help Jesus make sense to the world. The third week, we said we got no spare parts. We talked about the body of Christ, right? Like you and I are each different. We're each unique with different passions, experiences, skills, right? We're each different, and we're each essential. Like no part of the body is unessential. Like we need it all, right? And no part of this body is unessential. We're different, right? We're unique, and every part is necessary, and every part is a place. And then last week, we talked about kids and students, and we said we are fully committed to kids and students. You know why? Because one day, not too long from now, they're going to be responsible for leading the church. We're going to be gone, and they're going to be responsible. And we said the only thing that matters 100 years from now is whether or not the children of today know Jesus, right? And so we value kids and students. And then tonight, we're going to talk about hard things, and it's our next value. And here it is. This is what it says. We do hard things. When given two options, we'll choose the one that no one else wants to tackle. We will intentionally go where hope is hard to find. We do hard things. Guys, can I, can I just be like real honest with you? I love that. Like the, Probably of all the sermons in, in this series, this is one of the top two sermons that I've been so excited to preach. I love that. And I think part of it for me is like the challenge, you know, like as we get to know each other, you'll get to know me a little bit. Like I'm a pretty competitive person. Um, when I was, I've tamed down a little bit. When I was younger, it got me in trouble. Like I remember basketball games and tennis matches where I lost and I just pouted like a brat, like a baby. It got ugly at times, right? So there's plenty of weaknesses to, to being that way, to being a hyper-competitive person, but there's also strengths too. Like if somebody says, this is going to be hard, and they say, I don't think you could do it. Like there's a little switch that goes off inside of me. I think, oh yeah, I bet I could do it. Watch this, right? And that could be ugly and it could be driven by pride, and I hate that part of me. But you know what I've learned? Like competitive confidence, pride in myself, like that's, that's ugly. But a bold confidence in the Lord and a faith-filled, insatiable drive to do the seemingly impossible things that he's calling us to is absolutely gorgeous. And it's biblical because we realize that the stakes, that, 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 like what's at stake for us is as high as it gets. It's people's souls, Right? The stakes for us are as high as they get. Like, we're people who do hard things. Why? Because we believe that heaven's real, and we believe that hell's real. It's not a game, right? Like, what we're doing is not a game. This isn't a club. This isn't a hobby that we're engaged in. We're all going to spend eternity somewhere, and we believe the Bible when it says the only way to spend eternity in the place that every single one of us wants to spend it in is by following Jesus. We believe that, and because we believe that, we're willing to do hard things. We won't shrink away from them. We won't. We won't, we won't like cower at the thought of them. We won't quiver when we're faced with them. We attack them. Not because we're awesome and like totally capable and got everything under control. We're none of those things. Like if anything, we are the opposite of those things, right? It's not about us. We do hard things because we're dealing with people's eternity. And we have a God who, as we're told in Ephesians chapter 3, is able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to his power that's at work within us. So I want to take you to a passage. And I think it's one of the coolest passages in all the Bible. It's like one of my favorite passages. It's in 1 Kings chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles, flip them open to 1 Kings chapter 18. 
Um, if you don't have a Bible, there's, we have some in the back there. Feel free to stand up and grab one of those. If you don't have one for yourself, take one of those Bibles with you. We would love for you to have that as our gift to you. So this is actually, 1 Kings chapter 18 is actually picking up a little bit after where we left off last week. Last week, remember, we were talking about Solomon. And we were talking about Solomon's son, who? Rehoboam, yes, good. And his grandson, Abijah, right? So this actually picks up not too long after that. And if you remember from last week, the kingdom split. So under Solomon, the kingdom is like, the kingdom of Israel is like at its pinnacle, right? Like it's as good as it gets. And then Solomon's son, Rehoboam, um, it has not been trained very well. And the kingdom splits. So all of Israel splits. And the line of Solomon goes in the southern kingdom, which is called Judah, and the northern kingdom, which is like every other of the 12, uh, uh, whatever they're called, tribes, thank you, the 12 tribes are north. They're, they're in Israel, okay? And we said that in Israel, in the northern kingdom, every single one of those kings are evil, not one good king. In the southern kingdom, most of those kings are evil, okay? And so eventually a guy named Ahab becomes king in Israel, in the northern kingdom. And Ahab was a terrible person who didn't follow God, and his wife was even worse. You know what her name is? Jezebel, right? Like, she's so bad, she's an expression for us today. That is Jezebel, right? That's not a good thing to be called a Jezebel, right? So his wife is even worse than him, Ahab and Jezebel. And so through this prophet of God named Elijah, God makes it not rain on the land for a long time. And so in Israel, it's not good. There's drought, there's famine, there's poverty, there's death. And so Ahab assigns that to Elijah, right? And he hates Elijah. He hates Elijah. In fact, he sends out parties to try to capture Elijah so that he could kill him. And so God protects Elijah. God sends him away, and he says, I want you to go hide. And he takes care of him. And it's so cool. You should read this. Like, you should read um, 1 Kings 17, 18, and 19. This week, you should read it. It won't take you that long. It is an incredible story. History, right? It's true. It's amazing. But anyway, so as, he, as God protects him, he sends him away. He actually sends ravens to feed him, which is like crazy. It kind of sounds gross. I don't know what raven food is like. Maybe ravens brought him steak. I don't, I don't really know. I guess if you're hungry, you'll take whatever you can get. But God protects him, and God provides for him there. And so eventually, God tells Elijah to do something that's really, really tough and really, really scary. And it's at the very beginning of chapter 18. So you're in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 1. This is what God says to him. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. He tells him, go and show yourself to the one who's trying to kill you. Right? And Elijah says, uh, okay, I'm going to do it. I'll, I'll do what you say, God. And he goes and he shows himself to Ahab. And verse, jump down to verse 17. In verse 17, Ahab greets him very warmly. He says, is that you, you troubler of Israel? Not warm at all, right? And Elijah says then in verse 18, look at it. This is what he says. I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah replied, but you and your family have. You've abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. And so Elijah's got a plan here, right? And as these prophets are being gathered together, Elijah talks to the people. He gathers up the Israelites. He talks to the people and basically says to them, what are you guys doing? Like, what in the world are you doing? Make a decision. Stop trying to ride the fence. If the Lord is God, if Yahweh is God, serve him. 
If Baal is God, serve him. Just make a decision, you knuckleheads. It doesn't say knuckleheads, but make a decision, you knuckleheads, right? And so all of these false prophets are gathered up, and Elijah says, okay, here's what we're going to do. Verse 22. I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves and let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you will call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, of Yahweh. The God who answers by fire, he is God. So the people are like, all right, we'll do it. Sounds cool. Here we go. And then these prophets of Baal, they get everything ready, right? And they prepare their offering. They do everything they're supposed to do except set it on fire, right? And then they start praying to Baal. You know what happens? Nothing. No answer. And so they start shouting to Baal a little louder. Maybe he's not hearing them, right? You know what happens? Nothing. They start dancing around to Baal. That's a great dance. I'm a terrible dancer. They start dancing around to Baal, try to get his attention, right? You know what happens? Nothing. No answer. And so Elijah, remember, 850 false prophets, 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah, 850 false prophets, one Elijah, one prophet of God, he begins to kind of mess with them. Like I love, every time I read this, I like start to chuckle a little bit. He, the text says he taunts them a little bit. He says, shout louder. Surely he's God. Perhaps he's in deep thought or busy or traveling. Maybe he's sleeping and needs to be awakened. So they shouted louder, and they slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Can you imagine what that would be like if that was the way that we got God's attention? As we hurt ourselves, we cut ourselves until our blood flowed to maybe try to get God's attention. That's how Baal worked. Verse 29, midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no response, no one answered, no one paid attention. And so Elijah does his thing, and he builds his altar. You know, he takes the stones, and he builds it. It says he digs a trench, a deep trench around it. He cuts up the wood. He cuts up the, the bull, the offering. He puts it on there. And then he just does something really weird and really awesome. He finds some people, and he says, get these four big jars of water. Like, get these four big jars, fill them up with water, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to take them, and I want you to pour them on top of this offering, Okay? So they go and they do it. And then when they're done, he says, all right, do it again. Okay, they go fill them up with water, these four big jars, they do it again. When they're done, he says, do it again. They do it a third time. Get this thing soaking wet. So it's so wet that like this big trench that he dug around it was filled with water, right? And then this is what he does. Look at it, verse 36. He simply prays. He says, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all of these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me, so these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. And you know what happens? Fire comes down from heaven, and not just a little bit of fire, intense fire, and it burns up everything, everything. The sacrifice burned up completely. The wood burned up completely. The stones, I don't know how hot it's got to get to burn up stones. The stones burned up completely. The dirt around it burned up completely. The water, I like what it says in the, in the text. It says that it, it licked up the water. It like burn up even the water. 
the fire from heaven burns up everything. And the people see this, right? They see this powerful act of God through Elijah. And what do they do? They fall down on the ground, prostrate before the Lord. And it, and, and it sounds like when you read the text, it sounds like it's like a chant, like they start chanting, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And Elijah says, all right, grab every single one of those prophets, all of the false prophets of Baal, all the false prophets of Asherah. Don't let any of them get away. And then he takes them down to the valley and he puts an end to these evil men who are leading the people of Israel to do evil things and follow evil false gods. It's an amazing story, and it's true. There's a lot more to the story. I want to stop there for right now, because I want to dig in, and I want to put some skin on it for us, and I want to make some observation. I want to pull some insights out for us living our lives today. So when I, when I read that, when I think about it, the very first thing that I think about, the very first thing that strikes my heart is that sometimes God calls us to do hard things. Sometimes God calls us to do hard things. God did this with Elijah, right? Like God sent Elijah to the most powerful person in that part of the world, the guy who could basically do anything that he wants. He's king. The guy who hates Elijah with a passion, God says, go to him. And Elijah goes. See, sometimes God calls us to do hard things. And it sounds a little crazy, but this is just kind of what God does. This is kind of how God works. He calls people to go to foreign countries and share about Jesus where it's not always safe. He calls people to go into dangerous cities and tell people about Jesus where it's not always safe. He, he calls people to stand up for biblical truth even when it's not popular so that people understand and hear the message of Jesus. He calls us, he calls us to forgive each other even when we've been hurt unjustly. God calls us to do hard things. This is kind of what God expects of his followers. It's what he calls people who love him too. And it's hard. It's not easy. It's hard. There's a a passage in Matthew 10. Jesus is talking and he says this. He says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. You know what that means? Like, we could do a whole sermon just on that passage, but in a nutshell, you know what that means? It means when I choose to follow Jesus, I lay down all of my hopes, my desires, my aspirations, my goals, my dreams at the foot of the cross, and I admit to Jesus that none of those things is more important than what he would have for me. In a nutshell, that's what it means. That's what taking up our cross and following him means. That's what losing my life and finding it in him means. I choose to lay down everything at the foot of the cross and say none of those things is more important to me than what you, Jesus, would have for me in my life today. And sometimes what God has for us, it matches up, right? And it feels pretty good. Like what I desire for myself and what he desires for me is the same. It matches up, that feels good. Sometimes it doesn't. And that can be painful at first. But the point is that as a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, I love Jesus so much that I say to him, it's not about me any longer. It's not about me. Now I am going to do what you are calling me to do, even if it's hard, 
even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's challenging. I love you so much, and I am so grateful for how you've forgiven me that I choose to put your agenda far ahead of my agenda. But you know what? You know what's so cool and encouraging? Like, yes, sometimes God calls us to do hard things. It's very true. Sometimes he does. All times, God goes with us wherever he calls us to go. Sometimes he calls us to do hard things. But every time, he goes with us wherever he calls us to go. God went with Elijah, right? In fact, he showed his power in supernatural ways. And Elijah knew that God was with him. He seemed to have such confidence in the Lord. It's really interesting. In the the very next chapter, like in chapter 18, what we just read, Elijah is like so confident in the Lord, right? In the very next chapter, it talks about how afraid he is. And not just like a little bit of fear, but like deathly afraid. And he actually prays that God would just take his life. And it's really interesting. It's it's beautiful to see how God responds to him. God has done amazing things in Elijah, through Elijah. He has shown his power, right? Right? And when Elijah gets scared, God doesn't say, what's wrong with you? Look what I've done. He's patient with him. He's so loving him. You should check that out. It's the next chapter. But in here, in what we read, Elijah is confident that the Lord is with him, and he's not alone. It is so much easier to do hard things when we're not alone. I was reading this um, article, and and there was a little video attached to it this week, of a mother and daughter in Wisconsin who um, both got cancer. And so mom found out the day after Christmas, this past Christmas, that she had cervical cancer, stage two cervical cancer. And two weeks later, uh, I think her daughter was 15 years old, is 15 years old, um, found out that she has ovarian cancer. And you, and you hear that and you're like, oh, like, that sounds terrible. It sounds terrible. And it is really tough for their family from, from what it sounded like. But it was so interesting as I read this article and I saw this video about how really helpful to both of them it is to battle their cancers together, right? And they actually said that they were both grateful. They were both grateful to have the other person that they could rely on who was going through the same thing as they battle this together. You know, like mom can't cure daughter. Daughter can't cure mom or even treat mom. But there's something strengthening to us to have others with us as we do hard things. We share the burden, I guess. Guys, listen, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you love Jesus, you have his Holy Spirit with you at every moment. Every single moment. No matter what you feel, you're never alone. He's with you. Even when you make mistakes, he's with you. Even when you blow it, he's with you. He's yours, and you are his, and he will never give up on you. He may allow you or even call you to go through some hard things, to walk through some hard things, but he will never call you to do it alone, never. And that, I don't like what you feel when you think about that. For me, that gives me confidence, and it gives me strength, and it gives me courage, right? It gives me courage to walk through these things that he has put in my path. And you know what else? As we do hard things, God doesn't call us to do it like in our own strength, to like grit through it, to muscle through it. As we do hard things, we rely on God's strength. We rely on his strength. You know, I try to, like, I, as I read this, this text, this story, I try to put myself in Elijah's shoes. Like, how in the world did he feel so confident? You know, like, how, like he, was ta- he was by himself, and he's taunting these 850 other people, right? 
Like knowing that if something miraculous didn't happen to him, he was going to be killed. <laughs> like how could he be so sure that it was going to end well for him? Well, you know why? Because he believed in, he trusted in, he had confidence in the power of the mighty God. And he knew God well. He talked to him in prayer. He lived for him with his life. He knew how God had shown himself faithful to him in his past and Israel in their past. Elijah went not with faith in himself. Like he didn't go to Ahab with faith in himself. He knew by himself Ahab and Jezebel would kill him. No questions asked. He went believing that God could and God would do amazing things by his power and by his strength. And he knew that God had called him to this hard thing and that God would go with him as he went and that God would show his mighty power and his mighty strength because he's faithful. Let me ask you this question. I want you to think about this. As you face hard things in your life or even not so hard things in your life, whose power are you relying on? Think about that. Like, think of situations in your life. As you go through hard things, or even not so hard things, in your life, whose power are you relying on? Are you relying on your power, like your strength? Or are you relying on God's strength? Are you, are you trying to, to make it, to push through, to knuckle down and just, and just do it, to conquer your challenge in your own strength? Or are you doing it in the strength of the Lord? We don't just grit it out. We don't just knuckle down and push through something. We rely on God's strength. And if you're a follower of Jesus, he's with you. And you know what else? We do it for his glory. As we do hard things, we work for God's glory. We do it for him. We don't do it for us. Elijah's doing what he's doing strictly for God's glory. Like there is nothing he is gaining by going and presenting himself to someone who wants to kill him and has the power to do it, right? He's doing it strictly for God's glory. Before any of the cool stuff happens in this passage, he tells the people, he says, decide today who you're going to serve. If the Lord is God, serve him. If Baal is God, serve him. And do you remember what the people chant after God sends down fire from heaven? Elijah's great. No. They go, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God, right? I think there's a lot we can learn from this, guys. Like, how would it change your perspective in your life, if, you, if, if whatever you did, you consciously reminded yourself that you're doing it for God's glory. If, you, if whatever you did, think about your life, whatever you're walking through in your life, how would it change your perspective, perspective if you consciously reminded yourself, hold on, why am I doing this? I'm doing this for God's glory. Like, how would it change how you raise your kids? If you think, I'm doing this for God's glory. Probably make us a lot more patient with our kids, right? How, how, would it, how would it change how you respond to your neighbor who's not very kind to you? I'm doing this for God's glory. How, how would it change the way that you put up with a mean boss or a mean coworker or a mean student in your class? I'm doing this for God's glory. How, how would it change your perspective when you're caring for your aging parent? Or how would it change your perspective in how you spend your money? Am I doing this for God's glory? In my heart, like this changes a lot. This changes my perspective a lot. It changes the ways that I do things. It changes why I do things. It changes my attitude in doing things. It's a complete paradigm shift in my thinking that shows me what's important and what's not important. And sometimes I can get that twisted, right? Like when we get stressed, when we get burdened with something, we get overwhelmed. It's easy to think the things that aren't important are. I got to get this done. I got to do this and forget the things that are really important. See, guys, as followers of Jesus, 
we will be called to do hard things. It's kind of just what God does with his people. And to be like really honest and really obvious, doing hard things is hard. It's hard. Like we should be ready for that. Hard work, I know this is obvious. Hard work is hard work, right? It costs us. It comes at a cost to us. When we do the things, the hard things that God calls us to, there will be resistance. Many times from people, many times from people that we weren't expecting resistance from, some people won't like what we're doing. As we do the hard things that God calls us to, some people won't like it. I don't, maybe they'll feel jealous that you're doing what you're doing. Maybe they they hope that you fail in what you're doing. We should expect that. And there'll be frustrations. Things don't always go well. They won't always go our way. But God will teach us in those situations if we don't let our frustrations get the best of us. There will be times that we fail, right? There will be times that we fail. When we step out and we do what other people aren't doing, sometimes you make mistakes. Sometimes you're going to fail. It's going to happen. And when it does happen, when we do fail, so what? Like, so what? We'd rather try and fail than never try at all. I'd rather chase after what God's calling me to and make mistakes than just sit on my butt and be comfortable and be in control. Even though the things that God calls us to are sometimes hard and sometimes complicated, we don't have to wait until we have everything figured out before we run into it, right? When we launched this camp, there were a lot of things that we didn't have figured out. And it is amazing Today is a great example of it. It's amazing to see how God has brought things together. I encourage you to think about that in your own life. We don't have to know everything before we take steps forward. We can have faith and we can trust that God is in control and God will provide for our needs. And guys, we're constantly being tempted to things that are stable and secure and safe. Do you feel that? I feel it all the time. I'm constantly being tempted. Like, I want to be comfortable. I don't want to have stress. I don't want to deal with hard things. I don't want complications. I want safe, I want stable, and I want comfortable. Show me in the Bible where people prayed for safety, stability, and comfort. It's not there. It's not what they prayed for, especially when you get into the New Testament. Read Acts chapter 4. They're being persecuted. Followers of Jesus, early followers of Jesus are being persecuted like thrown in jail, beaten, you know what they pray for? Boldness, to not cower, to not stop. They don't pray for safety. They pray for boldness. See, I don't know about you, but I don't want to live a status quo life. Like, I don't, I don't want that. I want to see God do amazing things. In fact, I want to be part of God doing amazing things. And if we want to see God do amazing things, then we need to step out and we need to follow wherever he's leading us with a reckless abandon trusting him, trusting that he's going to provide for the calling that he has put in our lives. We lay our life down and we say, your will be done, not mine. I will follow you wherever you lead me. And sometimes God leads us to do hard things. I will accept that, God. Thank you for going with me wherever you call me to go. I am so grateful. I commit to you that I will rely on your strength, not my own. I remember that nothing is too hard for you. And I commit to work for your glory and not mine. I worship you. I don't worship myself. I want to end with this. I I get asked sometimes um, by folks who 
maybe you're feeling a little stale in their faith, and they say, like, I want to I wanna be, like, on fire for God. Like, I want to be passionate for God. How do I do that? Like, how do I grow? How do I, like, I, I, I want to I have this fire, this passion to follow Jesus. What do I have to do? And I read this passage, or actually I saw this video this week. One of you guys forwarded it to me. It was so good. It's by a guy named Dallas Willard, and he was asked that same question. He's an author. He writes about um, spiritual growth, actually. I uh, wrote a book called Celebration of Discipline. Great book. But they asked him. Somebody asked him this question, and this is how he answered, and I love it. He said, how do I grow? What should I do? Where do I start? And he said, go out and do the next good thing, the next right thing that you ought to do. Go do, and it will drive you to your knees, and it will cause you to need the Lord and his church. Nothing will cause you to grow more than going out and doing the next hard thing that you know needs to be done. I love that. So many times we think, like, if I want to grow, here's what I got to do. I got I to go to five more Bible studies. I got to listen to a thousand sermons, and I got to learn worship music and all that stuff. What if we just stepped out and we did the things that God was calling us to do, the next thing that God was calling us to do, and allow that to drive us to our knees and show us how much we need him, his strength, his power, not us. Imagine how that would change everything. If you're a follower of Jesus, we don't have to play it safe. We don't have to play it safe. We step out and we go where God is calling us. Going on the offensive against 850 false prophets was not safe for Elijah, right? The disciples telling people about Jesus in in the book of Acts was not safe. Going to nations around the world and sharing about Jesus where Christianity is illegal right now is not safe. And taking the gospel to dark places in Barberton may not be safe. But this is what God is calling us to do. And we won't be led by fear as we do it. So I want to challenge you. What, is it, what does it look like in your life? I, I believe with all of my heart that every single one of us in here, God is calling us to things. God has plans for each of our lives. God has plans tomorrow for each of our lives. What is he calling you to do? If it's hard, don't resist it. Attack it. He's with you. He will provide you with strength. Jeremiah 32 says, nothing, God says, nothing is too hard for me. He says, I am the Lord. Nothing is too hard for me. He will give you strength if you step out and you do what he's calling you to do. Father, I pray that you would help us to be people who are not led by fear, who are not led by laziness, who are not led by lack of discipline, but we're led by your spirit. Father, help us. Help us to hear you and what you're calling us toward. And God, give us the courage and the strength and the boldness and the dependence on you to step out and attack it. And I thank you, God, that we don't have to do that by ourselves. We do it with your spirit and we do it with each other. So God, we sing songs of worship to you now, and I pray that as we do, you would impress on our hearts exactly what you're calling us toward. We love you.